Welcome to this special episode of The Bourbon Hunters. This episode, we welcome on Greg Metz from Old Elk to discuss the company and other aspects to the distilling industry. But before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, Unicorn Nation Apparel. Unicorn Nation Apparel is magical apparel for magical people. Check them out on their website at www.unicornnationapparel.com for some amazing designs or buy some awesome bourbon shirts from the link in our Instagram bio. Again, reach out to them at www.unicornnationapparel.com. This was a great technical conversation, and as always, we enjoyed some special bourbons. So sit back, grab a pour, kick up your feet, and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of The Bourbon Hunters. I am Dude Poole. I'm joined by... Brett Bryan. And Tyler Schaefer. And then today we have a special guest from Old Elk. Uh, we've got Greg Metz. Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself real quick. Say hi. Hello, everybody. Yeah, uh, my name's Greg Metz, and I'm currently the uh, master distiller for Old Elk Distillery out in Fort Collins, Colorado. All right. Uh, I'm in my, in my 42nd year in the business, so yeah, looking forward to the show. Yeah, that's outstanding. So we've been pretty excited, I think, about this uh, episode. Yeah. Um, so just to level set here, uh, we've got three things that you guys sent to us here, different uh, bottles here. We've got a weeded bourbon, and then we have a uh, blended straight bourbon whiskey, and then we also have a uh, straight wheat whiskey. So we, we like to have a pour before we start things off. Um, which one would you recommend that we uh, pour first? Holy mackerel. Are you going to try all three this afternoon or are you just going to yeah, pick one? We'll, we'll do a little bit yeah. of each just to get some uh, tasting notes from each one of them. Well, I would say uh, we would start with the lightest and work our way to the, the more robust. So I, I would do uh, weeded whiskey first. All right. The weeded, the straight wheat yep. whiskey? All right. So and go then, ahead and that's And yours. then I would migrate to the weeded bourbon and then I would go to the uh, uh, straight bourbon. Outstanding. All right, so while we are uh, pouring these for us, um, let's talk a little bit about Old Elk itself and uh, the history and uh, just you know how you got involved. Well, sure. I uh, actually had met uh, Old Elk uh, about seven years ago uh, when I was still master distiller in Lawrenceburg, Indiana, the uh, what's now the MGP facility, but. Uh, um, you know, Kurt and Nancy Richardson, uh, seven years ago, uh, decided that they wanted to uh, start a, a craft distillery. Uh, I don't know if you know much about Kurt and Nancy, but uh, Kurt is a uh, very entrepreneurial person and loves building businesses from the ground up. And uh, he's actually the founder of Otterbox Phone Covers. Oh, wow. That's cool. Okay. I did not know that. So, yeah. So that was, uh, that was his first venture, and obviously he's been... Uh, extremely successful and since then he's, he has started a, a multitude of other small companies under the umbrella called uh, blue ocean enterprises and uh, uh seven years ago uh, again he decided he wanted to uh, venture into the uh, craft story business and uh, launched old elk uh, distillery and uh, we started working on old elk brands so uh seven years ago they uh, approached me at, at uh, in Lawrenceburg, and uh, you know, said so that they wanted me to craft and produce custom 
uh, Mashville's form. And uh, uh, I'd say I was probably uh, 35 years or 36 years in my career at that point. And actually, that was my first opportunity to uh, build something from the ground up for uh, you know a customer. Up till then, I had produced many, many products from many, many brands, but it was always uh, four or five staple mash bills that we actually produced while we were uh, owned by uh, Joseph E. Seagram's and son. Uh, they all happened to be world-class whiskeys and wound up being extremely successful uh, throughout the craft world. And, uh, but uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, Kurt and Nancy came to me and said, uh, you know, we want a bourbon mash bill. We want it to be a custom mash bill. And we want the product to be smooth and easy. And literally, that was the end of the meeting. So, uh, you know, I I, uh, I thought that was great. And uh, yeah, smooth and I easy. Just really, <laughs> just really applied my experience from that point on. Uh, you know, I know I knew uh, from all the experience I gained over my career that to get a smooth and easy characteristics, I had to get all the barley content way up in that mash bill. Uh, the other thing I knew in the back of my mind is that uh, all the other mash bills that I produced throughout my career in Lawrenceburg always had some degree of rye in it for a spice characteristic. And I, I really uh, traditionally wanted that to be part of the old elk uh, bourbon. So uh, knowing that it takes 15% rye to have a spice characteristic carryover, uh, that really uh, the rest of the mash bill became a first map. I took the uh, corn content in that bourbon mash bill down to the minimum, which is 51%. Uh, factored in the 15% rye, I needed to get that spice characteristic, and that uh, left me 34% uh, malted barley. So, and that's mm-hmm. a that's a high malted barley uh, content for a second <laughs> yeah, secondary. That's like five or six times higher. A, yeah, it's a very custom bourbon mash bill, and uh, there's really nothing else like it on the shelf, uh, not even close, really. So. Uh, as I came to know uh, Old Elk as, you know, first as their contract distiller uh, and got to know the company and the people that are, you know, working in that company, uh, you know, I found that they were all young, smart, passionate people uh, and, and uh, you know, really wanting to build a world-class brand based on tradition, craftsmanship, quality, and integrity. Uh, those were all values that I uh, was brought up on either through, uh, you know, uh, my family or, uh, or actually through Joseph E. Seagram's and sons who were, uh, you know, I had 24 years under their umbrella and they were, uh, absolute leaders in, in the, uh, realm of quality and integrity and craftsmanship. So, uh, you know, working for folk, folks like Old Elk and Kurt and Nancy was, was, uh, really something. And, uh, you know, three and a half years ago, when they asked me to join them full time as their master distiller, it was uh, totally a, a uh, dream come true and uh, a no-brainer. I bet. So let's uh, let's talk about this uh, straight wheat whiskey a little bit here. Um, so we were just talking, you were explaining the mash bill of the uh, blended bourbon, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. this one is what? Uh, a straight wheat whiskey. So uh, is this a published mash bill on this one? It could be. Again, uh, <laughs> it, it follows the lead of uh, custom ash bills that Old Elk desired. And after we uh, uh, built and produced the Old Elk bourbon mash bill, then we started, uh, we sat down and started talking about, you know, 
what looks good for six or seven years down the road from now. And, uh, you know, we talked and, you know, at that time, rye whiskey was, was just literally gaining traction and going through the roof. But the wheat whiskey world had been somewhat untapped. I mean, there's, there's some very nice weeded bourbons as well as wheat whiskeys out there. But uh, uh, Old Elk's DNA is to be different than everybody else. And, and the main thing in their DNA is they want uh, all of their products to be world class from a quality perspective. So, uh, you know, after we sat down and, and talked, uh, uh, they, they decided that they'd like to have a weeded bourbon in their portfolio as well as a wheat whiskey. Uh, and to make it different, I, I took them to the extreme. The uh, wheat whiskey that you're talking about is a 95% wheat, 5% malt. So you won't find it's so damn good. <laughs> any wheat whiskey on the shelf with, with a mash bill that high in yeah. wheat content. Sure. Uh, I would say, generally speaking, most of them are probably in the 51%, and probably a lot of them had maybe even a Third cereal grain uh, built into it. So right. again, this is this is what I would call the real McCoy in a wheat whiskey. It's uh, so is that five percent malted barley. Is that just to kind of kickstart that fermentation process? Yeah, yes, sir. That's that's mainly to achieve the conversion of that starch sure. in the wheat uh, into sugar, so that you can ferment it. Okay, so let's uh, let's nose this. What do you guys think about this so far? I get a little bit of honey on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the rest of you what you two get. I'll let Brett's nose. Uh, I have a weird nose. The, the, the fruit on it. Yeah. There's definitely uh for me the first thing that hits me is the um the honey. I don't get quite to the vanilla and oak that's listed on the yeah. website myself, but I do get a little bit of fruitiness to it for sure. The I, fruit stands out a lot to yeah, me. Yeah, like a, a dark fruit for me, I think. Yeah, I feel like I am getting the vanilla. Like I'm getting a lot of sweet with it and I Well if one of us got it, it would be you for sure. Yeah, I really and I really enjoy it. It's What's uh, what's really interesting about uh, weeded mash bills, especially at the levels that we've done them, uh, is that they actually, uh, because you don't have uh, a high corn content in the mash bill, it, it, it's a less robust uh, distillate uh, as opposed to a, a high corn content urban mash bill. Uh, it actually uh, it actually unmasks uh, a lot of congeners. That, would be in a bourbon, but uh, you can't see them be behind all the uh, high fusible content congeners that are in there. So uh, a lot of what you see in, in the high high wheat whiskey mash bill and even the high weeded, uh, weeded bourbon mash bill is it actually brings uh, congeners forward that would normally be masked by uh, a high corn content mm. bourbon. So. so what would you say um, is, you know, different about, um, you know, distilling a bourbon and aging a bourbon versus distilling like a weeded whiskey versus, you know, and, and aging a, a weeded vi- whiskey. What, what's the difference between the two? Like I know with rye, I feel like uh, a lot of people think that rye can age quicker, or at least it, it doesn't need to age as long to start being a, a viable product. What, what are the differences between weeded whiskey in your experience and um, just regular bourbon? Yeah. Well, from a, from a, uh, a production standpoint, uh, high rye mash bills and high wheat content mash bills are much more difficult to produce uh, uh, somewhat from a technical perspective, but also for sure a quality perspective. Uh, one of the things that both those grains like to do during fermentation is foam severely. And 
anytime you disrupt the CO2 blanket that sits on top of the fermenter while it's fermenting to protect it from uh, oxygen, which actually breaks down some of the congeners and turns them into defects. So, uh, you know, one of the things that, that uh, I learned at Seagram's uh, with the 95% rye mash bill that we made famous down there in Lawrenceburg was with, was that most of those, most if not all of the techniques that we used to produce that high rye wheat whiskey mash bill uh, and still maintain a, a world-class quality, uh, everything we learned about that actually applied to the wheat, the high wheat content mash bill. So, uh, we, you know, we learned how to control that foam. We, we learned that you don't want to let the fermenters uh, get overheated. Uh, you certainly don't want the fermenters to get old before you distill them. So uh, a, lot, a lot of what I learned about rye really uh, 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 translated to uh, the wheat product. So that was, that's one big step. Uh, from an age standpoint, from a maturation standpoint, uh, I actually looked at these products at four years old, and they just they weren't uh, they weren't ready for market. They just didn't have enough uh, maturity notes and wood notes in them to carry them. And I looked at them again in five years, and they still weren't quite ready. So uh, these products you're looking at are are uh, either approaching six or are six in some cases, maybe even seven years old. So that's awesome. I would, that I would say generally, yeah, I, I would say generally speaking. Uh, high wheat uh, content uh, distillates uh, are, would probably take uh, six six years, five and a half years minimum maturation to really carry it. And they, these these will uh, probably hit their super sweet spots in the in the eight to ten year range. Okay. Uh, you guys have very, some. They're very good as they are, but they'll, they'll actually get better as they age going forward. What were you going to say, Tyler? You guys have some, uh, you know. Eight, nine, ten-year-old coming along in the straight uh, wheat. Uh, we will. Uh, they're probably a couple years away, but mm-hmm. uh, you know our, our product roadmaps are. Uh, you know, we've got ideas for the future, and uh, you know we we really hope, uh, and we've got a lot of inventory, so I, sure. I expect that I expect that it won't be an issue to come out with uh, some eight and ten-year-old here down the road. Nice. So uh, just a little transparency here. So Tyler and I have both had, we've never had the off the shelf old elk. We've had, uh, so I belong to a bourbon club, uh, bourbon enthusiasts. So they've done a few picks with old elk. Uh, so I've got a weeded bourbon, uh, but they're cask strength. And then I've got a, um, a regular bourbon, uh, rye based uh, bourbon that is uh, cask strength. And then I have, we both have two different uh, barrel pick street straight wheat whiskeys yeah the straight wheat is a store pick from up in michigan but they're all store picks or club picks um so far so this is our first time experiencing old elk you know off the shelf and then uh brett has never had uh old elk yet and we left it that way on purpose today so that he was experiencing it for the first time today um okay so let's talk about the uh the straight wheat whiskey here what do you guys think on the uh on the taste i get a lot of what i call warm vanilla um, I don't know why I call it warm vanilla, but I do just for some reason, that's what comes to my mind. It reminds me of like some of those like candles that you smell at like, um, like Christmas time and stuff like that, that warm vanilla. And, um, it's got a clean, quick finish for me. I like it. I mean, just like the store picks I have, I mean, this is at a hundred proof. Um, the store picks we have at our one fifteen, but 
just for this proof, like it's so buttery right away. Ooh, yeah, buttery is a good word. Yeah. yeah, it feels definitely buttery. Yes. I, and, and it's funny because on the site, I wouldn't have picked this up if I didn't see it. Uh, but I am getting some yeastiness. Um, but I'm also getting some of that, uh, that, that warmth that you talked about. Yeah, um, and it's not in the finish. It's not. It's not like a strong, Mm-mm. crazy finish. It's a. It's a nice, easy finish, which is nice. I really like that. Uh, but I am getting the vanilla, and then if I hadn't read this, I was getting something I wouldn't have been able to pinpoint. But the yeastiness, uh, I'm getting that for sure. But I like this. This is good. It. I like the. Uh, oh yeah, you're fine. <laughs> I did like the old elk. Um, I did like the old elk uh, uh, club picks that we got. Yeah. So this this actually goes straight along with the club picks, just obviously not as high octane, <laughs> a little bit lower proof, but it's but because of that, it definitely seems to open up a little bit more, um, because you're you're enjoying less of the burn on the finish, um, so it's allowing me to kind of get a little bit more on the flavor as it goes to the back of the tongue. So that's that's really nice. I do. But like this. but even on the the club picks that we have at at one fifteen, they were they were smooth. Yeah, they were like a medium finish. Oh yeah. But they weren't overpowering by any means. I mean, they were a good finish, just not like it wasn't destroying your palate for the evening for, yeah. or anything like and I, that. And I had a, a buddy over um, last week and I poured him some of the straight wheat. Um, and he goes, I would have never guessed that this would have been 115 proof. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know this. What's the proof on this one? This one's 100. This one's 100. But it still yeah. doesn't taste like 100 no. proof at all. No, it's I mean, um, smooth and easy. Yeah. Well, and I like that you said. <laughs> proofs of our products Greg, I can't speak for the other two here, but this is probably our first conversation, you know, even at all the distilleries that we've been to where we really have like dove into the, um, you know, the chemistry uh, along the process. So I love that, you know, it's, it's super, you know, um, out of my world. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, just super new to us. So I love it. You know, anything that you have to offer in the product and, 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 
that process that you can not only us but the uh, the audience it's just awesome yeah, yeah for sure absolutely. well and i i mean i by no means have as much chemistry background as you but i did do like regular chem i did an organic chem series in college um biochemistry and stuff mm-hmm. so for me it's fun to talk about those things i do enjoy that no doubt um and as i'm revisiting this so like it's had a chance to like kind of sit on my palate and then i took it on the nose again i'm getting some cherry notes now yeah um, and, and I have some dark chocolate covered cherries at home that I really enjoy to eat while I'm sipping on bourbons and stuff. There's something about that pairing of dark chocolate and, and certain fruits and like the tartness of it. And I, I kind of almost pick up some of those cherry notes with this. And I think this would pair very, very well with those dark chocolate covered yeah. cherries that I have at home. Mm-hmm. So those, I like to pair food with bourbon. That's just my thing. <laughs> and what's the, uh, the book, uh, what fork do I, uh, use with my bourbon or something like that by uh, uh no uh what's her name um i can't remember her first name but uh she has a good book out anyway i'll i'll bring it up before we're done uh so let's move on to the the straight uh the weeded bourbon here so uh is that one right here yep the weeded yes. bourbon. you go ahead and pour that so let's talk about the weeded bourbon a little bit um so you mentioned the um the bourbon itself, the regular uh, rye-based bourbon, you've mentioned the straight wheat. Um, so let's talk about the uh, the wheated bourbon a little bit and what you were thinking when you uh, started coming up with the uh, mash bill for that. Yeah, so uh, so yeah, when we talked seven years ago, we, we thought the wheat category uh, was somewhat untapped, if not a lot untapped. But, uh, and again, with, with our uh, DNA and the way we think, uh, you know, we wanted to bring a weeded bourbon to market, but we wanted it, uh, uh, we wanted to go to the extreme again. So in this particular case, uh, I took corn content down to the minimum for a, a weeded bourbon, 51%, and uh, put in uh, 45% wheat and uh, 4% malt. So uh, no rye in this mash bill. Uh, I wanted to use all the wheat space that I had uh, to, to really make it, uh, again, uh, an extreme uh, weeded bourbon, if you will. So let's go ahead and nose this real quick then. Something jumps out to me almost oh. immediately, and it's this like toffee or butterscotch maybe. Butterscotch for sure. It's one of those two, um, and, and it's it's immediate. Yeah, I see toffee on the site. I don't get the toffee, but I am getting the the caramel and the vanilla. Uh, it says vanilla ice cream on the on the site, which vanilla is ice cream. Um, mm. the more I dig my nose into it, I'm I'm always that afraid might be to, that might be yeah, pretty maybe that's what I'm confusing. Yeah. It's funny we like doing this too, like what we come up with and then read it, and sometimes it's like interesting, like confusing flavors. So I can only imagine your nose, right? And and just in your day to day, the the he's probably like, these assholes, up. yeah. <laughs> well, and, these peasants, and just you probably haven't listened to our our show or anything, but of the three of us, he's probably got the most accurate nose. Um, yeah. Ours is, I guess, getting better. We're, yeah. we're training it pretty well, um, but for me, I need to see some things after I smell something to pinpoint what it is i don't have that sensory recall to to tell oh that was what this was i i need to see the word and then i'm like oh okay yeah yeah that makes sense um well that go ahead you know even at my level that 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 continues i mean you there's one thing about it is sensory and palate uh 
you know, they're like fingerprints. Everybody has one and they're all different. So, yeah. you know, that, uh, you know, what you're saying happens to me as well. I mean, I, my wife has gotten me uh, quite the gal on the century board. <laughs> and, and, you know, for more than generally speaking, women have better Oh yeah, we talk about my wife all the yeah. time. We we say she has a super sniffer. Um, she drinks yeah. vodka. She doesn't really drink bourbon, but every time I pour a new bourbon, I'll hand it over to her and let her kind of tell yeah. me what she thinks, and then I'll smell it and see if I'm getting the same thing. I get excited when I can think of it without having to look at something. So mm-hmm. I usually she's my sounding board. So Susie was really good on wine. I mean, she could pick out notes in wine. In in some cases, I couldn't really see, but. Uh, you know, as she's become more familiar with the bourbons, I mean, that all those talents, if you will, carry through, uh, you know, from, from, uh, holy shit, is know, this good? One, one category <laughs> to another, but, yeah. but I'm with you. I know there's, there's plenty of times that I see stuff, but I can't put the, the descriptor on it. And then as soon as somebody else sees it and puts a descriptor on it, it's like, uh, that's it. That's what I'm trying to do. So, so Tyler over here on my right, he's a big Maker's Mark fan. Um, so this is probably going to be a little more up his alley. I know of, of all the club picks I've had before opening this, I haven't tasted this yet. My favorite one so far is the Weeded Bourbon from Bourbon Enthusiast. It was outstanding. I keep going to it, and I'm upset that they limited us to one per uh, person mm-hmm. because it's almost half empty already. I, I, I've been drinking it, and it's... Like I have to, I have to force myself not to have it some nights because it, it tastes so good and I don't want it to be gone as quick <laughs> as it could be. <laughs> but let me, let me take a drink of this. What do you guys get on the yeah, this taste? It is phenomenal. Man. So the more I, so the more I nose this, I am starting to get, I think what is a toffee, um, off the nose. Um, but the cream, it like for me, I'm I'm getting the almonds, I'm getting vanilla, and I'm getting like a creamy creaminess. So what? I get the creaminess immediately. It coats the tongue, mm-hmm. um, and it's not an overbearing coating, but it coats the tongue, and then there's the sweet that lingers with it. Yeah. And this is such a good sipping like thing for me. I could sip on this all night long. Yeah, oh and I'm God. not getting the clove, but I'm getting. I feel like I I'm getting get the other either. things on this that are listed on the site. I'm getting the cream, the toffee, the vanilla, the toasted almonds. I'm not getting the clove, but yeah. maybe maybe the more I drink it, will. But we'll see. There is a spice that. For me, is, go ahead. Go ahead. There is a spice in the. <laughs> that's the delay getting us <laughs> there's a spice in the backside of it that i can't pinpoint i don't know if that's a clove that's or like what i'm thinking too like, like an all spice end, but back of my tongue um i can't pinpoint it yeah what were you gonna say greg uh, i just gonna say for me when when i hear toffee and butterscotch that almost means the same thing for me yeah, yeah uh, for sure yeah. I, I have a tough time differentiating those two but that's true. If it would have said butterscotch on here, I would have said butterscotch. I'm gonna have a snack sure. pack tonight to see if it's <laughs> <laughs> see if it's a little, accurate. A pudding, pudding pack. Do you um, have, so when you're in like the distillery, right? Because I'm sure you go out to Colorado, right, and go to the main distillery and stuff, and like thieve from the barrels and all that. Do you have a way that you cleanse your palate between all of these samplings, between all these barrels and stuff, or or what do you do? Ritz crack. Well, I, I do almost. I do. All the sampling and, and all the evaluating and all the blendings here at the house. Okay. Because all the product, all the products that I produce are still being aged in Lawrenceburg. Mm, okay. So I'm I'm only maybe forty five minutes away from the plant, so I can I can submit my list of barrels that I want sampled. I can pick up the samples, and I can do all that work right here at the house. But uh, uh, 
when I'm doing that type of work, I actually uh, reduce the proof on uh, on all the goods to uh, 80 proof. Mm. And there's two reasons to do that. Uh, one is that uh, I'm primarily looking for quality defects when I'm evaluating barrels so that we don't get a bad barrel or a bad barrel program barrel out there in the market. And I'm not necessarily evaluating um, you know, the different characteristics of each particular barrel. I mean, if, as I go through a lineup, I'll, I'll identify ones that I think are more robust in flavor, have better uh, maturation notes, and I'll just make general notes along those lines. Uh, my primary role is to make sure a bad barrel doesn't get into a blend or a small batch blend or in the barrel program. And so what I do on a daily basis, I'll, I'll look at uh, 32 samples in a day. Oh. Oh. That's about, that's about <laughs> all job. I can do without, without getting burned out. And then, I, again, I take, regardless if it's a cast strength uh, program barrel or it's, it's just a, uh, a warehouse strength uh, barrel that's going to go do a small batch bottling blend, I'd still cut them to 80 proof because it's easier to see defects. At lower proof than it is at high proof. And what and defects? Also, what defects do you normally see? You. Oh, sorry. I was going to say, what defects do you what defects do you normally see when you're when you're going through barrels like that? Well, fortunately, I don't see a lot, but I'll tell you what I'm looking <laughs> for is uh, must mold. Uh, uh, another common one's barnyard. Uh, another hmm. one might be burnt, and and most of those are all quality defects in the grain that you use. And, and the one thing about uh, anything you put in a fermenter, if it's good, whether it's good or it's bad, uh, and whatever flavors the yeast uh, create, um, all those flavors are going to transfer to the bottle. Uh, the distillation part of making bourbon whiskeys or wheat whiskeys or any whiskey is really quite simple. All you're doing is transferring all the flavors in the fermenter to your bottle. You're not doing any fractionation or uh, you know super rectification where you're stripping out components or, or removing them. So right. the, the really the fermentation process process is the most critical, and that's why you have to have good water. Any any off note in the water will carry through grain. Any off note carry through. So if you don't dry it properly and store it properly, if it gets moldy in the bin, those are really severe quality effects so if you get a if you get a a mold flavor then that usually comes from the grain side that's not from the aging process or something like that unless you're using a reuse barrel uh, generally speaking those would be uh, grain related defects sure. uh, you know if you if you're using uh, second uh, second run barrels like everybody else in the business like uses. Finish or something. You know, if those barrels sit around with the bomb off and oh. are used for a while, I mean, they can actually... Never thought know, of if that. Get, if they get water in them and it turns rancid or moldy, that, that would that would ruin any product that you put into that barrel going forward. Well, and Gr with a bourbon, you don't normally have to worry about that, right? Because you can't, no, you can't use a secondary... Right. Yeah. Right. So, Greg, question... Um, Two questions. What level char do you guys use on your barrels? We're, we use a number four on the side and a number two on the top. It's a very traditional. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, Same as like wild char and stuff, yeah. in the whiskey industry. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Uh, and, and back to your uh, earlier question, actually, 
uh, in our barrel program barrels, I mean, every barrel is, is like, a, like its own child. So they're all subtly different. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of that is driven by the fact that, uh, you know, the wood that goes into those barrels is, is variable. Uh, the age of the wood, the air drying age of that wood is variable. Uh, you know, what part of the tree it comes from. So, you know, each, oh, each barrel literally has its own fingerprint. You know, and, it, where it's, and then where it's located in the warehouse and how much air circulation. So there's many, many variables that actually play into the maturation process, which it, is probably about 50% of the, uh, you know, flavor <laughs> profile at the end of the day. And and we we knew that you know some of the wood had some some uh, some effect on it, but I you know I didn't know that where it came on the tree, how old that wood might have been, yeah. you know whether it's a fifty year old oak, a hundred year old oak, ten year old. Um, well, I never thought about where it came from. Is it closer to the stump? Is it you know further away well, from the stump or the roots and supposedly, stuff? Supposedly, what the direction of the cut can also make a difference too, right? As to the penetration into the wood and different things like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They like the staves. They, those are all uh, cut in one specific direction. If, if you cut them in the other direction, they're way more susceptible to leaks. So there's right. there's a lot of science that goes into the cooperage as well. And then even the even the char depth is. Uh, you you've probably seen videos on how they char them. It's mm-hmm. it's not an exact science. They <laughs> put a big torch in there and they count to ten or twenty. And so well, down the assembly you, line. And even the char depth is going to be variable, even though you order a four and a two. I mean, that, there's, yeah. there's variance in that. Uh, so it's, it's all good. So speaking of variance, I mean, obviously you talked about the barrels having an individuality to them. Uh, the char maybe not being 100% accurate every time, you know, from from one to the next. So... Obviously, when you're doing, we haven't talked yet about the blended bourbon, um, but when you're doing these in batches like that, obviously there's a taste profile that you're trying to find and, and you're trying to find some consistency. I mean, I know single barrel programs are a little bit different. People are trying to find their own unique expression with a single barrel program. But when, you, when you're trying to blend these together and find that single, you know, singularity, if you will, of a, of a taste profile. How do you, how hard is that when you're coming together with, you know, how many barrels will go into a batch, for example? And, and I don't know if I'm getting into proprietary information, but. Well, our, our, uh, our batch sizes are really dictated by uh, the equipment we have in Fort Collins relative to the craft distillery. So our, 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 our bottle blends, blends it go into a bottle product or, or in the neighborhood of uh, probably 70 barrels. Oh. Uh, and again, it's, you know, there's, when you're making a blend, you, you lose a lot of the individual fingerprints of each barrel. Sure. I mean, as, as long as that 70 barrels uh, is, is good from a quality perspective, uh, your blend at the end of the day is, is going to be, uh, you know, pretty stable. And, and what, what, what you have to be careful of and why it's so, why it's so important. And when you are doing small batch blends, like 70 barrels, is it, you know, at that, at those volumes, one bad barrel could really ruin or impact. Yeah. It's a wow. Batch. Decent percentage. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's, over 1%. it's much, much more crucial in small batch blends than it would be, in a commercial grade facility where they might be blending a thousand barrels. 
So, Greg, I know you've talked about the effects of wood on the taste. Now, what about, you know, rye, wheat, corn from different areas of the country? Um, do you see a, a, a change in the, um, you know, the outcome if, if it's coming from different areas, whether, you know, maybe it's Ohio, maybe it's Iowa, Nebraska? Well, and that brings up a good point. Where do you get your corn? I mean, this is... So right now you're still using what MGP for your distillate? Is that what? Well, we haven't we uh, haven't produced anything uh, from there since I left. So we're we're operating mm-hmm. off of about fourteen thousand barrels that I produced for El Alcala is still there. So from that standpoint, I can speak to the quality of every one of those barrels. But uh, it, it MGP when I was still there, uh, we generally sourced corn locally, and but we had uh, we literally sampled every truck that came into the plant uh, and did a century on that before we unloaded it. So uh, as long as it was uh, grade one or high grade two corn and it didn't have any off uh, quality notes relative to century, uh, we were good to go. Uh, uh, the grade two and the grade one, grade one part, the important part of that was the starch content in that corn. So we, you know, you don't if you get poor grade quality corn. Your starch content is going to be real low. Your, your uh, proof gallon per bushel yield is going to be low. So we were looking for quality grain, but we were also looking for uh, grain that had a really good starch value so that our yields would be good. So that's that's kind of the way it goes with corn. Uh, rye, uh, when we were making uh, 95% rye whiskeys, uh, or any of the rye that went into our products for that matter, under the Seagram umbrella, we found that the European rye was superior to mm. North American and Canadian rye. So whenever we could source uh, European rye, whether it be Swedish rye or German rye or, or whatever, uh, those grains always produced a better, a spicier, uh, cleaner uh, distillate than what the North American and Canadians did. Mm. Uh, relative to wheat, uh, Almost all the wheat comes uh, from east of the Mississippi, so you just, you're really in Fort Collins. We don't have the ability to source that locally so much, and uh, you know even east east of the Mississippi, Missouri's uh, the biggest producer of wheat uh, of all the other states that produce it east of the Mississippi. So that that uh, selection is is much more narrower than than the corn would be. Uh, you know, if, if you're going to source European rye, then you're limiting yourself as well. But isn't isn't Ohio one or two in the uh, country as far as corn? corn? We do a lot Production. of corn. Yeah, but it may not be corn. Would be very high. Yeah. yeah. So is there a is there a big difference? You mentioned like the individuality of the barrels and uh, different things like that. Like season to season, whether it's a wet season or a dry season or anything like that, does that affect the outcome of those crop yields for? The starch output and different things like that when you're when you're sourcing your corn. Oh, absolutely, yeah, yeah. If you have uh, uh, drought conditions or if the corn gets wet right before harvest and whatnot, yeah, you it it can make it very difficult to procure uh, the quality of grain that you're after. Mm-hmm. Uh, rise the same way, so, right? You know, I think uh, if rye gets wet before it's harvested, uh, it can actually start sprouting before you get it, which changes the whole enzyme characteristic right. of the grain. Uh, uh, rye was really difficult because it was, it was, uh, we almost had them. Well, I, I monitored the fermentation rates on, on the rye fermenters every day because that they would change every day and we would adjust, would 
adjust our distilling rates to uh, adjust the fermentation rates of those fermenters. So you talked about, um, you know, MGP being one of the sources for the, the distillate. Are you currently now creating your own distillate at Old Elk at Fort Collins and then aging? Uh, on, a, on a small basis, our, our uh, facility out there is only uh, about 125 uh, barrels per year. Uh, Kate Douglas, our head distiller, does a really nice job uh, out there. She's created some very nice mash bills of her own, which are currently aging. Um, and we're also in the process of, uh, of building or trying to build a full-scale distillery in Fort Collins that will take care of our needs. Uh, you guys are either coming to a, aren't you guys either coming to a finish on it the end of this year or you, you just did on kind of whole production out there? Well, we're back. We're, our, our 2021 roadmap, we're going to introduce uh, some cast finish uh, products. Uh, we're going to uh, introduce a, uh, I'm, I'm going to create a master blend for 2021. And we also have uh, some uh, product that uh, will be like a, a select sour mash product. It, uh, mm. it, it's a product that was distilled with the same old elk mash bill I created. Uh, it was actually uh, distilled at uh, a, a different distillery besides Lawrenceburg. And the methods that they used to sour uh, were different than, uh, than what I used in Lawrenceburg. So that product uh, will be coming out uh, 2021 as well. So, so do yeah, you, we've got uh, do you new things coming down the pipeline. Do you currently use a sweet mash then? Is that, or are no. you? Okay. Okay. Uh, no, yeah. I've, uh, I've always used a, a, a sour mash. Okay. Uh, uh, it, it, so just all, all, the, all the products that I produced were all sour mash. They were, uh, we set the fermenters in a, uh, about a 5.0 pH. And they would finish at about a four point and, and just for uh, our right listeners, uh, the the sour mash versus the sweet mash. So a sweet mash, you're basically starting over again with a sour mash. You're taking a little bit of the the leftover, right, and using that to kind of kickstart that fermentation process, right? Almost like uh, sour bread. That, that, that's somewhat uh, correct. The, the real He's basis like for, for sour mash, the real basis for doing a sour mash, is to reduce the pH of the mash. Okay. Uh, if if you didn't add any uh, uh, acids, either from the uh, fermentation process, if you didn't add any acids at all, your mash would come out about a 7.0. It would come out on those. Pretty neutral, yeah. Neut neutral. Uh, bacteria, however, love pH ranges from about 5.5 and up. Right. So uh, what you're doing by a sour mash process, you're reducing the pH below that 5.5 threshold bacteria-like, and you're actually setting the growing conditions in favor of the yeast and disfavoring uh, for any airborne bacteria that exist everywhere, primarily lactic acid producers and acetic acid producers. So that just ups, so if I'm understanding correctly, that just ups your, um, I guess, quality levels so that you're not having to worry yes. about. Yes, if, if you get uh, contamination, through airborne bacteria in your fermenters, it, it will drastically affect the quality and the yield of your fermenter. And, and uh, most, most I am. I, I like chemistry stuff. I do. <laughs> Sorry. And so in, in 
some of the larger distilleries or the, even the larger craft distilleries, uh, they'll use what they call backset stillage to reduce the pH of their cooker, their fermenter. And that's because through the fermentation process, the pH uh, drops to a, a 4.0 or a 3.8, which means your acid level Acetic, has yeah. gone up through the course of fermentation. And you just reuse that backset is just reusing those natural uh, acids that you produce in fermentation to go back into your cook, lower the fermentator, lower the pH, and help protect against uh, bacteria. That's kind of cool. It also, it also yeah. adds it also adds some uh, flavor characteristics as well. So it's it's not completely neutral sure. from a, mm-hmm. a flavor profile either. So and, and yeah, go ahead. Just one, yeah, just one further thing that it, it also adds a lot of uh, minerals and vitamins that the yeast need to uh, propagate. So there's many many benefits from using backset slowage to reduce your pH. So we're, I think we're going to go ahead and pour some of this uh, blended bourbon. Uh, but while we do, let's talk about, you mentioned Kate Douglas. Uh, let's talk about her. She's more in charge of the day-to-day operations, right, at the at the actual distillery in Fort Collins. Yes. She's done yes. a lot with the gin, right? And oh, yeah. Things. Yeah, she, she, she developed that gin recipe. And, uh, you know, I think she went through 70 or 80, 70 or 80 iterations before she landed on, on the dry town gin formula. So. No, she's been instrumental in uh, doing everything out in Fort Collins, uh, all the distillation, all the gin. Uh, when do you heavily involved in bottling now too, Greg? When do you think you'll you'll make the move out there? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't know that I'll ever move. He's uh, a phenomenal, full, by the way. Full time, uh, uh, but I'm certainly willing to commute as necessary. <laughs> commute? You say that so lightly. Yeah, fact, commute. Fact matter. The, fact of the matter is that uh, you know i'm the old goat in the company i mean when That's i said a young big ass Porsche Tyler. Earlier, our, our age group is is uh, in the neighborhood of 24 to 44 so uh you know i'm i'm for all practical purposes of on my way out and it's gonna be <laughs> hey my, it's gonna it's gonna be my job to transfer what i know to kate so that she could continue uh you know the traditions that I learned as well as continued the old dog tradition. But if, but if there's any, oh, I mean, on, you're in Cincinnati. I grew up in, I grew up in Michigan and, and I know you're in Cincinnati and I, I love Ohio, but if there's a cool place to retire, it's probably Colorado. Sure, But hold on. You made the cutoff of 44 to begin the, on the way out. I'm 45. <laughs> so in your definition, I, in your definition, I'm on the way out. <laughs> I don't like that. I don't like that definition. We're yeah, gonna... Well, unfortunately, I'm 65. I'm the old goat in the crowd. So. <laughs> the well, apparently I'm in that crowd too. So uh, I'm older no, than 44. No, no, no. <laughs> so All like, I took from this conversation is we need to make a trip to Fort Collins. Like yeah. that's, that's... That, puts you, that puts you in the young category, 24 <laughs> to 44. That, that's our bracket. But I'm one, I'm one above. I'm one, one above. Just one more. These, these two are in that category. I'm outside of that now. So let's let's talk about uh, real quick. This uh, what do you guys get on the nose for this one? Does popcorn sound right? Popcorn? Hey, I mean a little bit more buttery on the nose, and and buttery and corn. I think buttery the nuttiness maybe that might be the popcorn part of it. I don't, I don't get nuttiness, but Tyler's a little nutty, but yeah. yeah, I get vanilla and I get caramel, but I get that on almost all bourbons that are rye based. So I get a sweet, and I 
I know butter and sweet aren't the same, but I see maple on here. Now that I see it, I get it. That maybe that's the butter I get is the maple. I yeah. know that sounds weird. No, but I your pour was ridiculous, by the way. Well, For so Tyler, so, so <laughs> Greg, I will say I when whenever we do podcasts, <laughs> we always pour three or four drinks, and we and we yeah. have them, and that's With kind of my limit of like you know after a couple like I can stop tasting the nuances from each each i start to get a little tipsy um but i i really enjoy the shit out of old elk and and <laughs> so he's so, okay with the tipsy so i'm it. okay this time pouring some heavy pours because so I, I really like it for our listeners you've probably heard this but but greg one of the ones that we did before he complained to me that i was making his pours too big so the next episode i cut his pours in half and then he doubled the number of pours i gave him so I'm like, what, what's the difference? What's the difference? So, but that's probably the largest pour I've ever seen him oh, yeah. give himself on well, an episode. Just so you know, so that's a that's a compliment. So definitely, I get so much buttery on the tongue. Yeah, um, it does say. Yeah, go ahead, finish your finish your oh, thought. I, that was all. I well, this is the only one on the website that gives a mouthfeel on the tasting, oh, okay. and it says smooth and coating with a lasting flavor. And I I get yeah. that too. So I get a, a nice coat on the tongue. Um, and and the maple comes out, but the me. mouthfeel also. Brett, I feel like has a fantastic nose. Yeah. I really like well, to uh, get the mouthfeel of a bourbon. You're right. Um, that's something I really enjoy. And this one is just like it, it's just uh, consistent from front to back. Mm-hmm. Um, it's what's just the, a really easy, uh, you know, drink from from. What's you the know, proof on this? Um, uh, let's see. 88. Okay. It is such an easy drinker. Um, and shameless plug, when you talked about that master distiller release or whatever that you talked about, if you want to send a sample to us, we're only, <laughs> well, I'll drive down and get it from you. In yeah, we will drive to get it from yeah. you. We are Since big fans of town. Old Elk, by the way, just so you know. I mean, this isn't just but because you sent us if, stuff. We love Old Elk. If you ever get to Fort Collins, we have a, uh, a phenomenal tasting room. Road trip. Has all the products uh, for taste that even aren't on the market yet. So damn it, uh, that's like a seventeen-hour drive. It's a world-class facility, and uh, if you're ever in Fort Collins, birthday uh, thirty-one. Drop a dime on anybody at Old Elk, and we'll make sure you get the. Oh, I'm going to name drop you for sure when we go out there. Oh, yeah. It's not if, it's when we go out there. Yeah, we're name when, dropping when, when you. When we talk to Greg. My, my, yeah, my 31st birthday. That's that's the trip. I'm going to take a yeah, picture we'll, of this podcast. Like, I know him. See, it's proof right here. We'll, we'll show you around properly. We appreciate that uh, a lot. Funny. This is no, phenomenal. And, and, and we appreciate you being on the podcast, first absolutely. off. I mean, Sarah reached oh. out on our uh, Instagram and, and reached out to to ask us if we were interested and and we immediately jumped at it because we love old elk. We we've done it on previous episodes with the club picks and we can't stop talking about it. We've mentioned it in a a few episodes. So right now we are uh, definitely fanboys. Um, So we're, we're all excited right now. Yeah. This blended one, this would be a good one that I would introduce to people, people that haven't had a lot of bourbon or anything because it's so like, it's such an easy drinker. It's smooth and easy. It's smooth and easy. I know it is what he was said to do. It's uh, it it is a less robust bourbon by, uh, you know, 
bourbon standards. But, it, is, but it, it is gentler and it is smoother and it is But what's, what's the makeup? I don't know that I agree with it being less robust. I think it's just yeah, yeah. it's just a smooth and easy you know drink. It, but but the, the more you drink it, the more it opens up. But a, the crazy yes. thing is, is how flavorful it is with the 34% barley and the 15% rye. Like you absolutely get the the spiciness from the rye without it being overpowering cuz I'm not a big rye drinker but the Same. the barley just the malt barley just smooths that out fantastically. Yeah. It's like best of both worlds. No, I think you guys made a good I mean and to be honest, I don't know that I've seen and I could be wrong, but I I don't know that I've seen a 34% malt yeah. barley before. So that's ever to me, that Those was extremes, a, yeah, a big gamble, but it, I think it paid off. That's huge. I think it's, I think it's outstanding. It's, it's a, it makes it very easy to drink, and it's almost dangerous in a sense because I can sit and drink <laughs> it, yeah, and I'm not even realizing how much I'm having. Have you played around with like a thirty percent barley, um, ten percent wheat, and a in like a ten percent rye? Like a four grain or something? Like a four grain? Not yet. He's lying. He knows. He's he's like he's like he's like not yet. I can't say. I can't say. Oh, that's funny. Well, uh, I mean, honestly, so so totally switching subjects. And I there were a couple of things I wanted to discuss. And I we've talked about this with uh, Taconic and other people. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you guys is COVID. I mean, we're in the year of 2020. I mean, everything that could go wrong potentially on this planet has gone wrong. How, how has that affected Old Elk and any changes that you've had to make to the business? Oh, there was, uh, yeah, considerable change, obviously. I mean, uh, salesmen couldn't, couldn't do, uh, you know, right. couldn't go out and make calls. Uh, the distillery actually switched to making uh, hand sanitizer for a period of time when there was a big shortage of that. We've seen a lot of that here as well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that they had enough for the first responders in Fort Collins, as well as the other companies at Purdue. So, uh, you know, that was a big deal. We switched away from making product and making hand sanitizer. Uh, you know, one of the real things uh, that I think is going to be a big plus going forward is that virtual meetings like this were born uh, yeah. for all practical purposes out of the COVID. And, uh, you know, it gives me the ability to reach out to a lot more people, uh, for sure, a lot less expensive. And uh, <laughs> I just think the availability is a lot better in, in a platform. No, it doesn't replace face-to-face for sure, but it's pretty dang close, I think. No, you're you right. Know, I think that's. I think it's going to be the next new platform, and it's actually going to be uh, something that good came out of uh, very challenging uh, conditions otherwise. Yeah, I think so. I work in webcasting. My nine to five job is is I work for a company out of Minneapolis that does webcasting, and uh, we've seen a just crazy. You know, I've been in webcasting sure. since two thousand, and we've been talking about how it's the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, and it never really became that next thing. It was just a slow and steady boom virus this year. Yeah, <laughs> pandemic. I mean, boom, a lot. A lot of people die. Yeah, make money. We've seen like a thousand percent increase just this year. It's it's been crazy. So. Not only is virtual meetings like this, but webcasting as a way of uh, communicating to your to your staff and communicating to your subordinates and different things like that have, you know, company communication during something like this became super important. And and again, like you said, virtual meetings. I mean, being able to do those, but then also record them, stream them out to people who couldn't make the meeting. You know, when they were originally scheduled. You know, follow the sun companies that are worldwide. 
not everyone can jump on a meeting at 9 a.m. You know, that's that's in the middle of the night for some places and past work for other places. So, you know, th- those two things together combined to, like you said, I think almost change the, you know, the face of business. A lot of people are saying the new normal and, and stuff like that moving forward. But I think, you know, you're right, though. COVID, COVID has kind of forced our hand to do some things that have improved efficiency. Um, I mean, a lot of people working from home right now, they're talking about efficiency of a lot of companies going up, um, working from home because they're not as distracted with water cooler talk and all that stuff. So they're getting their work done. (laughs) Um, but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I'm glad to hear that you guys were able to pivot as well. I mean, I, we've been to high West, um, or Middle West Distillery West, here yeah. in uh, Columbus, and they had a they did a lot of um, hand sanitizer. I know Buffalo Trace did a lot of that, mm-hmm. and a lot the entire industry. It sounds like oh, yeah. switched immediately to you know let's let's help everyone type of thing, and and I think that's a that's a tremendous uh, asset. I think for for these types of companies to be able to just pivot like that, and and I mean honestly, it just makes sense. I mean, you're making high proof potentially distill it that can be used for a lot of different things. So, so yeah, go ahead. Tom. My, my question for Greg is, can you uh, maybe dive into your time at Seagram's MGP? And within that, is there a bourbon whiskey rye that many don't know that are made at Seagram's or MGP outside of sourced, sourced, uh, sourced or, Outside of uh, Angel's Envy. Well, and before you answer that, I think just to say, a lot of transparency is starting to happen yeah. now. Which people it, like. Yeah, and it used to be a, a kind of a dirty secret, but now it's becoming a little more transparent that, that places. But but yeah, I think, you know, if you saw some of that, that evolution of the, the secret, the secrecy to the, the transparency, like talk about some of that. Well, I'm not really at liberty to talk about anybody else's brand. Sure, but, sure. Know, what, what, what I will say is that uh, you know, I left MGP in June of 2016. So I would say that uh, any product you put up, pick up, if it says distilled in Indiana, <laughs> prior to that period, uh, I was uh, at least from 2002 to 2016 when I left, I was a master distiller at Lawrenceburg Distillery. So I was right about that. Been, <clears throat> I would have been the master distiller on site that would have produced it. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, we wondered if you were the master distiller at MGP while you were there for your time. Because was it MGP yeah. while you were there, or was it still Seagram's? I, I don't remember when this. We we actually went through four ownership changes uh, throughout my career. So yeah. I, I started uh, in 1978, right out of college, and graduated from University of Cincinnati with a chemical engineering degree. And uh, back then, companies actually came to campus to recruit, and as it was, Seagram's was. Uh, at UC, wanting to fill positions they had at the Lawrenceburg Distillery. So I uh, went through that process and was lucky enough to have been offered a job. Uh, the truth of the matter is I, I didn't really have any idea what I was getting into. And I, you know, I, I probably didn't even know what a master distiller was when I joined them. And, and uh, you know, as it turned out, I actually got the best training in the world from students relative to becoming a master distiller. So. Well, they, their guides that they've produced, their textbooks and, and things like that. I know Fred Minnick talks about them all the time that people still use those today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They, you know, Seagram's pioneered a lot of the methods that are used throughout right. the industry. They, they had a, a really intensive research 
uh, and development program. We had a lot of research scientists, PhD scientists that worked really on all facets of the industry. And, and they took all that data and condensed it into the textbooks that you're talking about. And they're all tried and true methods that work and make world-class spirits. So, uh, you know, I, I spent 24 years under uh, Seagram's. They had the best training program in the world. It was all on the job training. Uh, they got out of the business to, totally in 2002, uh, basically the third generation uh, took over the businesses and got took interest in movies and music. Mm. And to, to support those ventures, they sold off the beverage alcohol portion of their portfolio. Uh, and at that point, Diageo <laughs> and Pernod Ricard uh, jointly bought all the secret brands. Uh, Perno wound up uh, operating the Lawrenceburg facility for about seven or eight years. Uh, toward the end of that era, I believe they uh, acquired Constellation, uh, another uh, you know pretty big player in the business, and wound up with two distilleries and two bottling houses, and uh, really only had capacity for one of each. So uh, seven or eight years later, what would that be, 2009 or 10, uh, we got put up for sale again. And uh, at that point, uh, a rich gentleman from uh, Trinidad bought us, Lawrence Dupre, and that's when we became LDI right. for a period of about four or four and a half years. And uh, really, that four and a half years is when we uh, super aggressively uh, started seeking out third party customers and super aggressively started producing third-party customers. We still continue to produce all the Pernod brands that they acquired as well as all the Diageo brands that Diageo acquired, acquired. But we had a lot of plant capacity left over and to be, you know, profitable, we needed to fill that void. And, uh, you know, that's that's really uh, what started the, the heyday of third-party distillation for contract distillers. That, yeah. that was really, in my opinion, born of LDI. So, uh, during that period, uh, of course, we had the economic collapse, so to speak, and Lawrence Dupre's businesses suffered severely with that. Uh, the government in Trinidad got involved in his businesses, <clears throat> actually took them all over and, mm. and uh, mm. started selling off the ones that were profitable to, to pay back money that the government had to inject into the banking that Lawrence owned over in Trinidad to keep it from going uh, under. And then that's when MGP stepped in. It was late 2011. Oh, they probably made a killing. Early that's, 2012. It's interesting to hear the the history of that type of stuff. But uh, so let's talk about sourcing versus like contract distilling. So this the way I understand it, sourcing is kind of what like MGP would do, right? But but contract distilling is where you can kind of give your mash bill to someone and let and and basically be the or borrow their. Uh, distillery if you will and and kind of it's almost like using someone else's kitchen to make your stuff versus sourcing yeah, and, uh, you know I've, i actually use the analogy that you know there's you know a lot of people will say uh old elk products are sourced but the, the real difference the real difference is that i helped them craft custom mash bills and then i supervised all the production of their mash bills and for me, I would say it's it's the cook, not the kicker. Right. So more of a, would that be more of a contract distilling then in your case? That, that, yeah. I mean, you could you could consider uh, what we did, what we did, what I did, and what uh, 
hold up with you could consider it either one it would be source or it would be contract or you know it could be a blend of both but really what makes it different is that they are custom ash bills and nothing else like them anywhere on the shelf which is very unique that's really what it'll hold up on it to be and then you know i produce them for them so i, I at least yeah, for the next several years, I can speak to the quality of all the barrels I produce for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not necessarily the case anymore <clears throat> for yeah. other people. Right. Yeah. So uh, another question that puts you on the spot. If you if you had to drink a product... You're drinking, brother. I know, I know. <laughs> if you had to drink a product that is not, you know, either Old Elk or MGP... Whether it's mm. just a single bottle or a product, you know, a brand, what would you, you know, what's your, what's your favorite? What, what's your like, hey, it's not mine, but they do a damn good job. <laughs> I would, uh, I would, I would look at uh, anything that Four Roses produces. And okay. The, the real, the reason for that is that uh, Four Roses was a sister plant uh, to Lawrenceburg and mm. the relay plant we had and. Baltimore when we were under the secret umbrella. So, uh, you know, I, they've gone through ownership changes as well, but uh, I can't imagine that they would have uh, changed any of the processes that were instilled upon them through the secret uh, methods. So, you know, I, I know, I know they use the same methods. I know they use the same yeast that I used to use. Uh, I like their single barrel and, a lot. And they're, and they're, you know, they, they learned, they learned all about tradition and craftsmanship and integrity. If they have maintained that, then then their products are going to be very, very, very good products. Four Roses is good. I, I mm-hmm. enjoy Four Roses. I mean, from their small batch select, I've never had their small batch limited edition, which is yeah. you know the big one every year that they put out. But I, I like Four Roses. I think they're really good. Yeah. So we visited there on our little bourbon. We did a little mini bourbon trail trip, and we visited yeah. the distillery. Did did you get to uh, meet uh, Al Young before he passed? No, no, we, we, we did not. It was it was yeah, not too long was, ago. We've only been doing yeah. this for since uh, December, basically. Almost, almost twelve months. Yeah, it's almost been a year. Um, I mean, we've been enjoying bourbon longer than that, but but the podcast and stuff where we would might have gotten a chance to meet some other people like that, we didn't get a chance. No, but his yeah, he, he the was, fifteen year that they did for that that you know for him that was with uh, yeah. the Al Young release or whatever. Yeah. I worked with him quite a bit at Lawrenceburg before he transferred, but he was he was a, oh, cool. a first class brand ambassador for, yeah. for Fort Rose. Just a yeah. terrific guy, and uh, he did he did a lot for their brands and uh, you know a lot for their products. So yeah, great guy. And that's not, not to plug another podcast, but the Fred Minnick episode just recently, his Fred Minnick show where he does the interviews of the different top five um, of his of the century. Uh, one of them was with Four Roses, and they talked a lot about that and that release yeah. specifically. So that was uh, that was kind of neat to hear. What were you so what's say? your favorite? I'm going to ask you before you ask me. <laughs> oh, that's a uh, <laughs> turn it around on us. Turn it around. I got to stand up. I know. That's um, I, I got to stand up. So, I mean, I'm I'm not even kidding when I say that you know across the board, Old Elk makes a makes a fantastic brand, yeah. or you know, for fantastic product. Um, one that has really really surprised me is Blade and Bow. Um, you know that. You know, if I you know 
not geeking into like super super high end or super super rare. Um, Blade and Bow has been one that uh, chopped my head off. I'm too tall. I got to sit back. You know, down. across the board that I've really really enjoyed for for the price. So yeah, Blade and Bow is good. I for me, um, I right now, and I just got lucky. I think I got a crazy honey barrel, but um, the Taconic that. I got from bourbon enthusiasts. It's a barrel pick. It's from a club. Um, it's their Duchess reserve line, but it was a barrel pick and, and cask strength right now. That one, they're out of New York city or not New York city, but, uh, New York state. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but he, their head distiller graduated from Ohio state university. So at least similar Ohio. Oh. Yeah. Um, so he I worked at Buffalo Trace for a long and time. He worked for a Buff- uh, yeah, Buffalo Trace for a little bit. So a lot of that history and a lot of that uh, tradition and stuff that he took up to New York with him. But um, that one right now, I think, is is one of my favorites. Uh, and I'm not going to lie, uh, not because you're on the show, but that old elk weeded bourbon that I have sitting over there that is a cask strength, that's in my top three right now. Um, I'm visiting that one a lot, but I'm trying not to because I don't want it to be gone. I know there's another. There's not another one like it. So, yeah. Um, so I'm very transparent. As we said earlier, I have never had any of these old elks. I can promise you, as soon as like tomorrow when this show's over, I'm gonna go buy this blended bourbon over there because it is absolutely delicious. I like it a lot. Um, and it's it's funny because we just did our last episode. Was a blind. Well, well no, no, no. I don't uh, think okay. you weren't there before that. Yep, yep. Before that, dude had us make a list of. Are, um, if you could only have five bourbons, what would they ever be, right? And it's we went through a whole big thing, and I won't go into all of it, but I've been a big fan of the old Forester 1910, the double oaked, um, and I like that a lot. I would love to see you guys do some kind of like double oaked thing in the future, which maybe that's a secret you can't tell us right now. Um, but for some reason, I've been on these double oaked kicks a lot. Like Woodford makes a really good double oaked as well. And again, I don't know what it is, but I'm, I'm big on those, and that's probably my go-to for a lot of things. There's a lot of good products out there. That's, there I mean, we, oh we, 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 we always, dude and I always joke like, you know, if, if, if we've had, um, a hundred bourbons, 95 of them were, we're going to enjoy, you know, at least enjoy, um, you know, 30 of them or half, you know, 50 of them that we might just love. Um, there's very few that we're just like, we don't that like. is that is gross like <laughs> yeah. that is gross i mean um, we're, we're fans of some mid-level bourbons and some lower level like early times bottled and bond early um, times is fantastic oh, that's what we had earlier that is such a good one that bottled and bond that's new no it's not as it's not new it's just got purchased by well, sazerac and yeah uh, is now owned by someone else who who does the james pepper that we just had the 1776 um I don't remember who who makes it. Who the over? Um, Amir Pay. Who is it? <laughs> Amir Pay is, runs that. It's, uh, uh, used to be Georgetown Trading, but he st- he opened that distillery in uh, Pepper James Pepper. Okay. Distillery. So that uh, was. He's, he's a, a totally first class guy. Good, he's good. Awesome. Uh, you know, if you if you know him, I'll pass along. That was that was one that. Um, yeah, we really enjoy that. You know. I, my neighborhood, um, the guys don't know a ton about bourbon, but they have a, a bourbon cigar night every, every month. And I always try to bring over a different bourbon. We all smoke a cigar and the, there's probably, uh, I don't know, 15, uh, bottles out. And actually my buddy, 
he was like, hey, I just saw this at the store, and it was the 1776 bourbon. Um, he's had it before, and for thirty five dollars, yeah, here here that's in good. Ohio, I was like, that's that's fantastic, and I instantly went out and bought a bottle of it. So, um, if you know him well, uh, we've talked about that many times. Love that bottle. So yeah, he, uh, he he's anything with uh, their brand name on it from a quality perspective is going to be very very good. Uh, he he uh, uses all the right methods, and he's he's. Uh, angle about quality and angle about tradition so nice so for transparency for people who aren't watching not that they're watching now but if we post some of these videos later um i just poured out some of the uh weeded bourbon from the bourbon enthusiast it's a 57.2 percent alcohol 114 proof it says 506 on the top right of the label i'm assuming that's maybe from the barrel barrel or batch or something um but uh it's a it's a single barrel and it's um it's a weeded bourbon, and I just poured it out for them so they could taste it. Um, I don't know what you guys think of it, but it's very sweet. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, this is but for the high proof, right? It's phenomenal. For yeah, me. it does not taste like a high proof at all. So, so Greg, do you guys have anything coming in the sense? I know you you mentioned castring, but do you have anything coming in the sense of a single barrel? They have a single oh, barrel that, program. We do have a, a single pro, a single barrel program that's uh, extremely popular. Okay. We don't. We currently don't have a. How do we get that program? Uh, <laughs> a single barrel product for the shelf. So, but uh, we certainly have single barrel programs where you can buy uh, the contents of a barrel. Yeah. Uh, we'll, bo- we'll bottle it for you. And, uh, Looks like we're buying a barrel, boys. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's not to say there's uh, not something coming down the pipe. Uh, gotcha. In the future. I mean, gotcha. that's becoming a, a big thing. I mean, single barrel programs, I, I've mentioned this on the show before, but like it kind of gives those clubs a chance to express their own, you know, flavor profile into an already existing, you know, uh, uh, brand and give them something a little different than what you'd find on the shelves. They're, they're phenomenal for me because, you know, I can always go buy these off the shelf, but then also being able to go buy an expression that's that's a little different, but the same mash bill. It's unique. Yeah. yeah. There's that uniqueness. That's I, just- I, I will say that old elk is, is one of the select few that I would absolutely do a single barrel from. Yeah, like, absolutely. That's, that I yep. would hundred percent just be like, that's a, that's a brand that I would love to do a barrel from. So, You've done a good job, Greg. We appreciate all yeah, your work. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. Before we, I'll uh, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say one of the, one of the things that, it's interesting is we've really only been in the market for about three years. Yeah. So we've, yeah. We, we've gone from uh, t- two states less than three years ago to 50 states uh, as of last December. So we're, you know, we're learning as we go as well. I mean, we're building this brand, these brands from the ground up. So, you know, there's, you know, we're looking at a lot of things, a lot of things that you folks have brought up tonight are things definitely on our radar but uh, we're very new to the business uh, and it's been a remarkable ride already so well we're we're, we're looking to leave a mark in the industry uh, i feel like you already are i I don't know how you're doing like business wise but from bourbon wise it's it's phenomenal you know i i know you've spent 40 years in in the industry but these these bourbons would would not reflect three years they would reflect 40 years in the industry. I mean, we've had plenty of stuff that are, are more, um, you know, Nominal. micro Nominal. distilleries, 
but this would not reflect that at all. Yeah. Well, and you know what? To be transparent, I mean, everything I learned at at Seagram's relative to becoming a master distiller just translates all the way through. Oh, I'm sure. uh, And, you know, that's a big reason. There's there's a lot of, at the risk of sounding rude, there's a lot of master distillers out there that, uh, just don't know any better. They only know what they know. And, yeah. You know, I was fortunate. I was fortunate to get uh, world class training from a world class outfit who did know, and that, that's a big difference. It's, I guess it's kind of the difference between a, a chef and a master chef. Yeah, sure. that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, I'm glad you did what you did and jumped ship and joined the old elk. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, I mean, it's not yeah. like we're not experiencing some of those things that from MGP as well. I Agreed. Mean, uh, those are yeah. things that we're experiencing too. Yeah. Those, a lot of those sourced bourbons, that's where they come from. Let, let's talk about the bottle. I, I, for me, I mean, there's multiple things to talk about here, but the bottle itself, not even counting the cork, which I love, the topper. It's a just, very clean label. Yeah, I mean, uh, it almost. I mean, I'm assuming it's supposed to look like an, uh, you know, an elk hoof, an it's elk cross section of an elk antler. Antler, yeah. But the but the glass oh, yeah. itself or the bottle itself is just there's a, a limited amount of embossing, which is nice. Yep. Um, but it just looks classy. It almost it's not quite, um, you know, decanter quality, but it's very close. I mean, it's just a nice clean. Uh, classy bottle, and then these, these pours, these pours, <laughs> these old, these old elk pours are outstanding. You, we've been talking about those. We've been talking about those years. For, well, not years, but months. For well, sure. no, no. But ser- seriously, when I when I first saw these, I was like, you know, I don't know if you guys used to send out the bottles with these and and didn't anymore. But I first saw these a long time ago, and and I knew the bottle didn't come with them. I don't know if you just sold them out of the shop. And, and, they, and they are part of our value-added packages. So actually, they're uh, packaging back packages as we speak for the holidays. So they, they'll be out there on the shelf. They'll be out there on the shelf again. They're God so, damn it! They're so amazing. Like I, I it's yeah. such a simple thing. Really, no if, additional if, charge. No, I, mean, I know be, because in in I know the, you guys are currently sold out on these. And, on, the, on the website, and, yeah. and, and and we were sent these, so I I don't I legitimately thank you do, by the way. Yes, thank yes, you, thank you very and, very much. And, and I do not know the price of them, but I will say that if any of these went to any hunter, regardless if they liked your bourbon, they would be ecstatic. They would be like, oh, hey, yeah. like I mean, there I don't know that there's too many hunters that don't like whiskey. <laughs> um, so if if you just sent a hunter one of these as a gift over the holidays, they'd be like, "This is the coolest thing in the world." Uh, yeah. Elk is delicious, by the yeah. way. If you're yeah. not a hunter, really elk is delicious. No, they're they're just really cool bottle toppers and or pourers or whatever you want to call them. We saw them a while back on a, a couple of uh, Instagram posts, I think, from your page. And then when we were talking to Sarah, she just said, "Hey, would you guys like a couple of those?" We were like, "Oh yeah, absolutely, we would love that. yes." Uh, so, I mean, outstanding, we've got three of them now and, and I love them. I think they just, they're just really cool. So, but everything you guys are doing from the, no, but just the packaging, the whole idea behind this is I brought up the bottles, but, but everything from the, the bottle to the, to the cork or topper or whatever you want to call it to the pours, the branding uh, across the board is fantastic. The marketing is, is really good. The labeling is just, it's clean and it's simple, but it also reflects almost like that. Um, I mean, it says old elk, but it almost has a little bit of like a vintage feel to it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so, I mean, whatever they're doing, they're doing a good job of it. And I, I think it's very uh, appealing packaging, if you will. So, you know, I, I think you can, I, so I bring this up because my wife, when we used to do wine a, a long time ago, probably 15 years ago, and it never failed. If she saw a pretty bottle, we would buy it. Didn't matter if we knew anything about it. If it was a pretty bottle, pretty packaging, she would buy it. So this is a type of a bottle that she would be attracted to, yeah, for sure. Book by its cover, that whole yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, honestly, you could have great juice in these things and just be <laughs> juice. Not juice. no one would buy it if it didn't look nice. And these look appealing. These look, you know, worth buying. So you need to look for our custom ice balls too. They're uh, I know oh. she talked. She talked about that. Equally as interesting. And yeah. Ever. They look like little mountains. Those are those what? are neat. Yeah. You yeah. can make that happen, Greg. She, That'd she be talk, phenomenal. Yeah. Well, she, Sarah <laughs> talked about sending us to them, but she sent us the dog things because she's when we, we talked all, on the we phone. All have dogs. Yeah. When we talked uh, on the phone the first time, we were walking the dog. So, uh, <laughs> so they sent us the dog treats, but the the yeah. ice molds were really cool looking. So, but uh, well, I mean, I think we've been on a little over an hour now. Um, we don't want to take up your entire evening, but uh, any last questions or anything? that you have no i just want to thank you so much yes. for doing this with yeah. us like it's thank been you so such much. a cool experience for me um i feel like a little fanboy or whatever you want to call <laughs> it but this has been great it really has like i absolutely love this thank you yeah a lot of technical information so that was really nice to to have you on and, this and definitely my favorite part yeah yeah for sure yeah for me the sentiment's the same i i really enjoyed it was thrilled to be invited along and uh Hopefully, this is the start of a lasting partnership. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we'd love Definitely to have you on again. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank well, thanks, you again Greg. for joining us. And yeah, uh, real, pleasure. thank you so much. Before you jump off, uh, is there any place to find you on? Are you on social media, or do you just live vicariously through Old Elk? Uh, you can, if you go to Old Elk's uh, Instagram, you can find me there. You can probably find me on Old Elk's website. Yeah, there's definitely not, videos and bios and things on there for you. I just didn't know if you had your own personal stuff. So, uh, well, I, I'll, uh, I'll I'll make sure I get your emails and I'll just send you all my contact information. Yeah, that's and, great. Uh, that way you'll have that way you'll have it. And literally, feel free to reach out anytime, questions or whatever. So, yeah, I don't mind at all. I'll get your I'll get your emails I'll get your emails oh, from Elisa. We'll give it yeah we'll give it to Elisa or Sarah and make sure okay. that she gives yeah. those to you. So, um, but we're the Bourbon Hunters podcast. I'm uh, with Brett Bryan, and, Tyler Schaefer, and thank you, Greg, for uh, joining us today. It's been an awesome episode, and we really enjoyed having you on today. Absolutely, so very uh, very informative, which was exactly what we were looking for. So, thank you so much for uh, being on today. Thank you all. Yeah. All right. Cheers, Take care. Greg. All right. Have a great evening. Hey, you, too. you too. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining in for yet another episode of The Bourbon Hunters. If you like what you hear, please leave us a rating on Apple, Podbean, Google, or wherever you are listening. It definitely helps us get guests on like today. And follow us on Instagram and the Facebooks to keep up to date with what is in our glass. As always, sit back, grab a pour, kick up your feet, and enjoy some bourbon.